Welcome to an exciting forum of alternative viewpoints and balanced ideas. This is Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. That's Nav C and Nav M. Confused? Don't be, because two halves always become one. Now join us for an energized hour of global viewpoints and shared ideas, only for you. Now, here are your hosts, Nav and Nav. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. I'm your host, Nav C. And I'm your host, Nav M. Welcome to another hour of Alternative Views. This show will help you rethink, reshape, and reform ongoing narratives. So this issue is about homelessness in Toronto, Canada. And although some of the issues are um, can be projected to all of North America as well, some of the major cities such as Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, in this episode we'll be concentrating purely on Toronto, Canada. So Canada has maintained an international reputation for its high quality of life over a number of years. It ranked number one country in the world for quality of life in 2020, keeping its top spot for a fifth consecutive year, according to a study conducted by US News and World Report. However, in recent decades, homelessness has become a stark reality for a growing number of Canadians and obtaining shelter represents a daily struggle. And for the majority of people in day-to-day life, they will never consciously need to worry about where they will sleep on a given night because they already have a bed and somewhere to organize their belongings in a place they can refer to as home. But despite the fact that housing is seen as a basic human right and requirement for good health, this is not the reality for many people in Canada. Because each night there are approximately 35,000 people experiencing homelessness, adding up to at least 235,000 on an annual basis. And according to the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights, Housing is a right protected under international law and Canada has endorsed such rights guaranteeing an adequate standard of living which includes adequate food, clothing and housing. Similarly, the Ottawa Charter for Health Promotion identifies shelter as a basic prerequisite for health. And ever since homelessness was first identified as a crisis in Canada in the early 1990s, The country is now approaching an important juncture in its response to this pressing issue, especially in light of the federal government's policy of disinvestment in affordable housing since the mid-1990s, which has meant many communities at all levels have struggled to respond. Furthermore, the situation is compounded by a long period of declining real wages, which means that even the minimum wage has not kept up with inflation in any jurisdiction of Canada. There's also been a striking reduction of benefit levels, including pensions and social assistance, combined with a shrinking supply of affordable housing, which are all factors placing an increasing number of Canadians at risk of homelessness, in particular those sections of society facing physical and mental health challenges. Even preventative social initiatives such as rent banks and energy banks, which are designed to help people remain within the housing system, are inadequate in reversing the growing trend towards homelessness. And as a result, what we've witnessed in major metro cities such as Toronto, Montreal and Vancouver 
has been an explosion in homelessness as a visible presence and a significant social problem. But it's the issue of affordable housing which emerges as a stubborn outlier in addressing the overall problem. The decline in availability of low-cost housing has a significant bearing on the homelessness problem, in particular rental housing, because it affects many Canadians, in particular young people setting out on their own, single parents, low-income workers and also the elderly. So in today's episode, we will analyse the issue of homelessness from various perspectives, the origins, the numbers involved, the various causes, the myths and misconceptions, the most vulnerable groups, and the links to personal health. And finally, the issue of affordable housing, which is the linchpin between this episode and the previous episode on condominiums. But let's begin by first defining the scope of the problem and attempt to answer what constitutes homelessness. The Canadian Observatory on Homelessness, COH, states in a shortened version that homelessness is a situation of an individual, family or community without stable, safe, permanent, appropriate housing or the immediate prospect, means and ability of acquiring it. Most people do not choose to be homeless and the experience is generally negative, unpleasant, unhealthy, unsafe, stressful and distressing. And as we shall discover in the following sections, homelessness is not solely limited to housing instability. But overall, there are three broad areas which define homelessness. So firstly, most of us have seen various images from media sources of individuals living in places which are unfit for human habitation, such as abandoned buildings, under bridges, garbage units or other places which lack basic communities. Secondly, the definition also refers to people whose primary nighttime residence is a supervised public or privately operated shelter designed for temporary living accommodation. And thirdly, it could also be people sharing housing with friends, family or acquaintances. So the absence of a consistent definition of homelessness in Canada can be explained by, firstly, the difficulty in identifying homeless people. Secondly, the transient nature of homelessness. And thirdly, the difficulty in establishing lines of communication with homeless people. And other important aspects of homelessness in Canada include the impact of urbanization, the heterogeneous nature of the homeless population, and the complexity of the causes of homelessness. And as discussed in our previous episode on condominiums, Canada is experiencing a rapid and continuing trend towards urbanisation and has reached crisis point in large urban areas where the availability of affordable housing is limited due to a loss of rental units and a shortage of social housing. Also, the heterogeneous nature of the homeless population is a key factor because as a social issue, it affects single men, women, street youth, families with children, people of all races and ethnic backgrounds, lifelong Canadians, immigrants and refugees. In other words, a full cross-section of society. And all of these various groups will face different health issues. For the majority of individuals, homelessness resembles a transient one-time crisis or an episodic problem. But for a distinct subsection of individuals, homelessness resembles a chronic long-term problem. 
So what are the origins of the crisis and why are so many people falling into the trap of homelessness? Well, there are two major trends which are largely responsible for the rise in homelessness over the past two decades. Firstly, a growing shortage of affordable rental housing and a simultaneous rise in poverty. And we know that homelessness and poverty are clearly linked because it's the poorest sections of society that are often unable to pay for living essentials such as housing, health care and education. So in situations like this, difficult choices must be made when faced with limited resources. And the harsh reality of poverty is such that being involved in an accident at work or at home or experiencing a major illness usually means being one paycheck away from living on the streets. And the rise of mass homelessness in Canada can be traced directly to the withdrawal of the federal government's investment in affordable housing and cuts to welfare, which began in the early 1980s. So let's take a look at some key insights. In 1982, combined government-funded social housing units amounted to 20,500 units. By 1995, that number had dropped to around 1,000, with numbers slightly recovering to 4,500 by 2006. And interestingly, over the past 25 years, while Canada's population has increased by almost 30%, annual national investment in housing has decreased by over 46%. In 1989, Canadians contributed through taxation an average of $115 per person to federal housing investments. But by 2013, that figure had fallen to just over $60 per person. And when we look at figures from social housing, the figures are even more stark. More than two-thirds of social housing stock, a figure of 365,000, are low-income households paying a rent geared to income basis, or RGI. And as these federal operating agreements are set to expire over the next 20 years in line with federal housing disinvestment, this inevitably places those six, 365,000 Canadian households at risk. Furthermore, 18% of the entire rental housing stock in Canada, an estimated 750,000 households, experience extreme housing affordability problems, meaning that they are low-income households and are paying more than 50% of their income on rent, putting them directly at risk of homelessness. So the key point here is that there is a fine line between being housed and unhoused. In general, the pathways into and out of homelessness are quite fluid. Individuals and families who experience homelessness are extremely vulnerable and lack adequate housing and income and the necessary support systems to ensure that they stay housed. So in the next section, we will focus on how many people are actually homeless in Canada. In particular, how many people are homeless in a given year? Estimating the number of people experiencing homelessness in Canada has been a source of debate for years, but according to figures from the State of Homelessness in Canada report 2016, an estimated 235,000 Canadians experience homelessness on an annual basis, while other agencies have put this figure much higher at around 300,000. So how many people are homeless on a given day? The number of Canadians who experience homelessness on any given night is estimated to be 
at least 35,000 individuals. And this includes people who are staying in emergency, homeless shelters, violence against women shelters, unsheltered places and temporary institutional accommodation. But additionally, there are as many as 50,000 hidden homeless on any given night. And these individuals are referred to as couch surfers and include those people staying with friends or relatives because they have no prospect of permanent housing. So let's now look at chronic homelessness. How long do experiences of homelessness last? Fortunately for the vast majority of people who become unhoused in Canada, the experience of homelessness is short-lived, usually less than a month, and it represents a one-time only event. However, people who are chronically homeless, long-term, or what's referred to as episodically homeless, i.e. they move in and out of homelessness, they form a smaller percentage of the overall homeless population. But at the same time, they use more than half the emergency shelter space in Canada. So now that we have some context to the issue of homelessness in Canada, I can now hand over to Navsi, who will begin her piece by addressing the causes of homelessness in Canada. Thank you, Navim. So what are the causes of homelessness? The causes of homelessness reflect a complex association between structural factors, systems failures, and individual circumstances. Homelessness is usually the result of a cumulative impact of a number of factors rather than one single factor. The first factor is structural. These are economic and societal issues that affect opportunities and social environments for individuals. Um, And key factors can include the lack of adequate income, access to affordable housing, health support systems, and or the uh, experience of discrimination. Shifts in the economy, both locally and nationally, can create challenges for people to earn an adequate income or pay for food and housing. So the second factor is poverty. Homelessness and poverty are inseparably linked because people who are impoverished and often unable to pay for necessities such as housing, food, childcare, healthcare, and education. Poverty usually means an individual is simply one illness, one accident, or one paycheck away from living on the streets. The third factor is housing. A critical shortage of housing which is safe, affordable, and stable contributes directly to homelessness. Millions of Canadian families and individuals are living in core need, i.e. paying more than 50% of their income on housing, and are at a serious risk of homelessness, arguably affording housing in the most impactful factor nationwide. The fourth factor is systems failure. This occurs when other systems of care and support have failed and vulnerable people resort to the homelessness sector, whereas other mainstream services could have prevented these needs. Examples of system failures include difficult transitions from child welfare, inadequate discharge planning for people leaving hospital correctional facilities, mental health and addiction facilities, and a lack of support for immigrants and refugees. The fifth factor is personal circumstances and relations problems. And individual factors include traumatic events, example, a house fire or job loss, personal crises such as family breaking up or domestic violence, mental health and addictions challenges, including brain injury and fetal alcohol syndrome, Incidentally, both of these factors can be a cause and consequence of homelessness. 
physical health problems or disabilities and relational problems can also promote this um and they include family violence and abuse addictions mental health problems of the family members and extreme poverty the sixth factor is domestic violence domestic violence and homelessness are are linked very deeply it's estimated that the family violence affects 237 victims per 100,000 people in canada and these figures are based on the statistics canada 2016 This often forces individuals and families to leave home suddenly without proper support and structure in place. This is particularly an issue for youth and women, especially those with children. Women who experience violence and or live in poverty are often focused to choose between abusive relationships and homelessness. Young people that are victims of sexual, physical and psychological abuse often end up experiencing homelessness. also seniors who experience abuse and neglect are increasingly at risk of homelessness now that we have looked at the main causes leading to homelessness let's now review the myths and misconceptions about homelessness there are various myths and misconceptions surrounding the issue of homelessness many people believe it's a choice and those affected by it can simply pick themselves up if they wanted to and that they are unhoused simply because they are lazy However, the reality is that homelessness is not a choice and there are many stereotypes that persist about homelessness. This misinformation is a cause for concern because it deepens the stigmatization of a population which is already marginalized. Below we have looked at six of the most common misconceptions of homelessness. The first myth, people choose to be homeless. Various factors will contribute to an individual's experience of homelessness and people fall in homelessness when all other options have exhausted alternatively they may be dealing with circumstances which make it difficult to maintain housing and some of the obstacles which lead people to homelessness may include eviction the affordable housing crisis coping with mental illness or addictions which make it difficult to maintain independent housing Now the second myth is homeless people are lazy. In order to survive, many people who experience homelessness are in constant search for the necessities of life such as food, shelter and a source of income and do not have the option of being stagnant or lazy. Also there are many people who hold down full-time jobs but remain homeless. Now this brings us to the third myth which is people who experience homelessness are all addicts. only a small percentage of those homeless people deal with substance abuse or addiction problems but mainly homeless people may deal with the issue in relation to their specific experiences which may include trauma and mental illness the fourth myth people experience homelessness should just find a job many people who have fallen into the homelessness um are already employed but it is much more difficult to find a job while experiencing homelessness a number of key challenges arise such as lack of a permanent address not having access to regular showers barriers to transportation and difficulties like mental illness which make it difficult to obtain suitable employment fifth myth there are plenty of adequate services available and support networks to help those who are homeless now many of the solution and assistance 
support systems for homeless people focus on emergency services such as shelters and food banks. However, for individuals who are trying to escape a cycle of poverty and homelessness, emergency services alone are simply inadequate. There is a greater need to focus on the larger systemic factors which prevent people from obtaining permanent and suitable shelters. The sixth and the last myth, property values will go down if we let homeless shelters into our neighborhoods. Now, despite the large number of people who go into downtown Toronto to access these services, housing prices remain high and there is no evidence to support this myth. Overall, the myth that exists about homelessness and are, is is which is why it's important to remember that every homeless individual faces a different and complex set of circumstances. Indeed, the key point about the heterogeneous nature of homeless individuals forms our next area of discussion. And because we can now ask, which groups of people are more likely to experience homelessness? It is impossible to generalize which group of people are more likely to experience homelessness than others. However, by examining those groups of people which are more likely to experience homelessness, it provides an insight into the multitude of factors which lead individuals into homelessness. This implies that homeless people in Canada are quite diverse in terms of age, gender, and ethno-racial backgrounds. For instance, according to the State of Homelessness in Canada report 2016, adults between the ages of 25 to 49 make 52% of those experiencing homelessness in Canada. Seniors 65 years and older make up less than 4% of the population in Canada. The report also highlights some interesting facts about the following groups. First, single adult males. Men between the ages of 25 and 55 account for almost half of those experiencing homelessness in Canada, which makes 48%. Youth. This group includes people between the ages of 13 to 24, and they account for around 20% of those experiencing homelessness. However, the cause and consequences of homelessness for young people are very different from those affecting adults. In particular, youth come from homes characterized by family conflict and some and some kind, including physical, sexual, and emotional abuse, disruptions to school and family life, neglect and poverty. Interestingly, youth who identify as members of the LGBTQ2S community account for almost 30% of young people experiencing homelessness in Canada. This is significant because the prevalence of homophobia plays a major role in youth homelessness. Women. Women account for about 27% of those experiencing homelessness and are at increased risk of hidden homelessness, overcrowded conditions, or insufficient funds for shelters. A number of factors which make women more likely to experience homelessness compared to men include unstable employment patterns, having to adopt additional caregiver roles. Women in Ontario also experience a wage gap of 30% less than men, which makes them more susceptible to poverty. Furthermore, women at a higher risk of experiencing intimate partner violence or IPV. Also, when women become 
unhoused, they are at greater risk for violence, abuse, and sexual assault, which may explain the lower number of women in the shelter system. Indigenous people. Indigenous people include First Nations, the Métis, and Inuit people, which make up 6% of the general population, but are overrepresented among those experiencing homelessness in urban centers of Canada. Families. Families experiencing homelessness are diverse in structure, with some having two parents, with one or others headed by just a single parent, um, usually female. Family homelessness is largely underpinned by structural factors such as poverty or lack of affordable housing. Following the withdrawal of government housing programs, more families are turning to emergency shelters. So to recap, the last section has shown us that different people become homeless for different reasons. And given how diverse the Canadian population is, it's the timely reminder that there are many pathways to homelessness because of this unique challenge that specifies subpopulation faces. In the final section of analysis on homelessness, we will briefly examine the relationship between homelessness and health by asking what are the health implications of homelessness. Homelessness homelessness has a clear and adverse impact on the health of the individual, but this relationship is far more complex due to the interplay of risk factors which create the initial state of vulnerability. For example, homeless people will remain at risk of poor health even if they have access to stable housing. This is because mental health conditions may contribute to the onset of homelessness and in turn exacerbate the state of homelessness itself. The acronym PWLE stands for People with Lived Experiences of Mental Health and Addiction, and this group is disproportionately affected by homelessness. It's estimated that between 25 to 50% of homeless people live with a mental health condition. Solving this social crisis requires innovation solutions to help this critically vulnerable group of Canadian society. Now we come to the specific health conditions which are associated with homelessness. Firstly, crowded sheltered conditions can result in exposure to tuberculosis or TB or infestations with scabies and lice. TB is is higher in shelters due to overcrowding um, and um, poor ventilation. Homeless people are exposed to a higher risk of death. The prevalence of mental illness and subsequent substance abuse is higher among homeless adults than the general population. Alcohol disorders are widespread with lifetime prevalence rates of around 60% among homeless people. Among homeless youth in Canada, risk factors for HIV infection include survival, sex, multiple sexual partners, and injection drug use. Injuries and assaults are a serious threat to the health of homeless people in Toronto. 40% of the homeless people have been assaulted and 21% of the homeless women have been raped in the past year. Homeless people in their 40s and 50s often develop health disabilities that are commonly seen in individuals who are at least a decade older, particularly in oral and dental health. Homelessness involves a daily struggle for the essentials of life, completing, competing priorities with obstruct homeless people from accessing 
the required healthcare services. We're shortly coming to a sh- uh, we are coming to a short break now. Much more to come in the next segment. Uh, stay tuned. See you shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. To find out more about us and the ideas behind our show, visit our website at gmc-radio.com. That's gmc-radio.com. Now, back to Good Morning Canada. Welcome back. You're listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. It's great to have your company. In the last section, Nav C highlighted some excellent points, very thought-provoking points regarding the health issues concerning homelessness and it reaffirms an earlier point which we made that homelessness is not done by choice. So what we've seen from the previous section is that homelessness and health are inextricably linked and when individuals experience physical or mental illness there is usually a loss of income leading to an inability to work and without adequate income and facing the loss of a home, this leads to an inevitable downward spiral causing individuals to live in substandard housing. Therefore, adequate and affordable housing clearly contributes to one's physical and mental well-being by creating better mental health outcomes. However, the cost of rental accommodations in Toronto has created a critical shortage of affordable housing and is a leading contributor to poverty within the province of Ontario, the most populous in Canada. In Toronto, rising rents have contributed to a rental trap because rent prices have outpaced wages. 
the result is that people are spending a larger percentage of their income on rent, contributing to what researchers describe as an affordability crisis. Accommodation is considered affordable only if it requires less than 30% of a household's total pre-tax income. So now that we have established housing as a central factor influencing the issue of homelessness, what are the challenges to affordable housing? Firstly, let's look at the threshold for affordability or the 30% rent income rule. Based on figures from July 2016, 41% of people receiving ODSP, which is Ontario Disability Support Program, and this is financial assistance for those who do not have an adequate source of income. They have been diagnosed with mental health and psychiatric disorders, according to an Ipsos survey. The maximum monthly income for a single person receiving ODSP is $1,716 or $1,716. But the average market rent for a one-bedroom apartment in Ontario is $1,277. So it's unfeasible to allocate 73% of one's social assistance to housing. And this situation is placing people on ODSP at risk of losing their home. Secondly, policy shifts for housing expenditure. And much of this has been covered in the previous episode on Toronto condominiums. But there's been a wholesale shift in government policy in relation to housing investment in Canada since the mid-90s. Market solutions have focused on the use of tax incentives to support private home ownership and to spur the private sector to build new housing. But these measures were driven by the broader goal of balancing federal budgets while shifting state responsibility for housing from federal to provincial governments. And what this means is that homeowners in Canada benefit from taxation policies in ways that renters do not. Thirdly, structural factors. The restructuring of the Canadian economy over the last two decades created growth in the energy sector in Western Canada, placing further pressure on the affordable housing supply. Simultaneously, the industrial and manufacturing base has essentially collapsed in central Canada, which means lower incomes, thus affecting the ability of people to pay for adequate housing. And then fourthly, we have key demographic shifts. Young people under the age of 30, even those with higher levels of education, are finding it more challenging to obtain full-time living wage employment and are often reliant on part-time jobs. And at the same time, a large number of the baby boomer generation are moving into retirement with lower incomes and have... Uh, and, and fewer have private pen, uh, pension plans. So their housing needs differ from when they first raise families. So the question which now arises is, do we have the right mix of housing to meet the needs of Canadians? Let's firstly examine private home ownership. The, tree, the, sorry, the key transformations began after federal housing policy changed in the mid-90s. In 1990, almost one-third of housing investment was in private multi-unit rentals. But from 1995 onwards, that percentage declined to less than 10%. And furthermore, when we look at the new supply of rental units in the Toronto CMA, virtually no new rental units have been created in the last decade. And there's an ever-growing investment of condominiums and private homes. 
So all new rental units are from condos being rented on the secondary market. In other words, real estate developers are no longer building apartments designed to rent. They are building units designed for sale to customers, many of whom purchase the units and then rent them on. And what this means is the proportion of new housing built in Canada, which are either freehold homes or condominiums, now completely dwarf the amount of new rentals being built. And interestingly, all of this has occurred during a period when the population of Canada increased by over 20% since the mid-1990s. And the reasons as to why condos have become so much have grown so much faster than rental units are very complex. But one obvious reason is that condos make developers more profits. So the average rent from a rental unit in 2007 was $452. The average rent for a condo unit in 2018 is $857. So now we can look beyond rising rents And we can see that condos generate quicker returns, whereas apartment buildings and rentals generate long-term returns. Condos require less upfront equity from the developers as units are pre-sold. Furthermore, the rising cost of land has made it more difficult to finance new building units, making developers more reliant on pre-selling units. So where does this all lead to? Well, it points to the present situation, which is a crisis in the Toronto housing market. More than 2.8 million people live in the central city of Toronto. And Toronto is expanding faster than ever because it's a top global destination for immigration. So let's look at some key insights. In the last decade alone, house prices have grown four times faster than income, while rent of Unoccupied units, i.e. units which are currently available for rental, have grown twice as fast than income. In October 2008, the average house price was 359000 In October 2018, the average house price in Toronto was 772000 The average condo now rents for 2200 per month, up from 1400 in 2008. So part of the challenge to affordability is population growth versus the supply of new units. And between 2015 and 2016, the city of Toronto's population began to soar due to immigration on a massive scale, while the number of new rental units did not keep pace with this trend. And the factors we've described have all combined to create an unprecedented crisis in Toronto. For example, from 2016 to late 2018, the average number of people using the city's emergency shelters on any given night jumped 60% to more than 6,600. Finding an apartment in Toronto is a challenge even for people with steady incomes. For someone who is vulnerable and unemployed, it's virtually impossible. The average monthly rent for a studio apartment in Toronto is $1,922, according to Rentals.ca. Yet 76% of renters in the Toronto CMA, earning less than $50,000 per year, are spending more than 30% of their household income on housing. And this is the point where rent becomes a burden, the point where housing becomes unaffordable. So... 
let's now return our attention to a different area of, of the Toronto crisis, and this is empty housing stock. In 2016, there were more than 99,000 empty homes in the GTA, or Greater Toronto Area, and this equates to around 4.5% of all homes. So this equates to enough housing for 240,000 people. Within the city of Toronto itself, there are seven empty homes for each homeless person in Toronto. Also, more than a third, 38% of Toronto's condominiums are owned by people who don't actually live in them, according to Statistics Canada 2019. What this means is they are either vacant, rented or used as a secondary property. And most were purchased pre-construction for the purpose, the sole purpose of flipping for quick profits. So let's now wrap up with some final remarks. The contradiction between homelessness and empty real estate illustrates the market aberrations within the Toronto real estate market. It points to a more disturbing fact that within Toronto today, the housing market is being weaponized. For Housing stock is being manipulated by speculators and investors as opposed to being viewed as a basic right for the people who live and work in the city. The lack of affordable housing in Toronto and in Canada is a symptom of market rules which have created a warped brand of capitalism. There exists a surplus of homes in Toronto, but the people who need them most cannot afford them. Social housing was always designed as a critical stopgap in the market when rents became unaffordable. The main objective of social housing is to provide subsidised rent to those who cannot afford the market rate. But it can be offered by government and non-profit organisations. And it is either geared to earnings for those with reduced income or provided at below market rate rent. And in Toronto, there were more than 100,000 people on its social housing waiting list in 2018. The city managed to house 2,900 people and the list has grown by more than 8,000 year on year since that period, 2018. A June 2019 report by the City of Toronto's Auditor General outlined major recommendations to accelerate the process of clearing the waiting list, in particular recommending that applicants be prioritised and housing given to those in the most dire need. So let's now ask, has the broader Toronto housing market finally reached a crossroad or can it still keep reaching skyward? Firstly, various property or emigration lists have labelled Toronto as one of the best places to live. For example, the Economic Intelligence Unit, EIU, recently ranked Toronto the seventh most livable city in the world in 2019. Similarly, relocation company Nestpick rated Toronto as the fifth best city for millennials based on its high number of jobs and openness to all people and access to quick amenities and recreation facilities, parks, etc., to improve the quality of life. These are highly sought after accolades for a modern, vibrant city like Toronto. But for many residents, in particular those who were born in the city, it has increasingly become an unaffordable place to live. The United Way Greater Toronto have argued, although the GTA appears to be a prosperous and thriving region, 
it is actually the poverty capital of Canada, where one in seven residents struggle financially to keep a roof over their head. In October 2019, the organization began a campaign to raise awareness of homelessness and poverty in the Toronto region. At the center of the campaign is an augmented reality app entitled Hashtag Unignorable Tower. And what the app does is create a scale of a condominium tower next to the CN Tower in downtown Toronto. The virtual condo building, once scaled, or if it was ever built, which is actually impossible due to its size, is actually more than two and a half times the height of the CN Tower. And the idea of the campaign was that if poverty in the GTA could be visualized on a daily basis, it would be impossible to ignore because the virtual tower blots everything else out within the Toronto skyline. And the virtual tower represents the space required to sufficiently house the 116,000 plus families and individuals struggling to put a roof over their head, which is why it has been named hashtag unignorable. We already know that there's a higher cost of providing support systems for shelters and transitional housing. But is it worth considering more innovative solutions as opposed to providing more further social housing units? For instance, by creating housing specifically for people with mental health conditions, this leads to significant cost savings for health services. According to the Mental Health Commission of Canada, homelessness leads to annual costs for the health care system and social services and justice systems of around $1.4 billion. The cost of shelter beds are actually 10 times higher than the cost of social housing. And for those who end up in hospitals, the cost per month is a staggering 54 times higher than social housing. But one innovation... One innovative solution is housing first, and this is a fairly new concept, um, which is a recovery-oriented approach to homelessness that involves moving people who experience homelessness into independent and permanent housing as quickly as possible with no preconditions, and then providing them with additional services and support as needed. And once they have a home, they are encouraged to obtain support to solve their ongoing issues rather than worry about the, the threat of being evicted. And Housing First projects first appeared in municipalities across Europe and North America in the last 10 to 15 years. But Finland has, has excelled in, the, in this process because... because it's become the first country to adopt a national housing approach to homelessness based on the housing first concept. And similarly, in 2013, uh, here, the government of Canada renewed the homelessness partnering strategy or HPS by focusing on the housing first approach. And this means that communities across the country will need to integrate housing first into existing homelessness and preventative services. And this proves the point that housing first cannot be achieved solely by the housing and homelessness sector. It requires active involvement from a variety of organizations and government entities. Some commentators have referred to housing first as a working principle or a guiding philosophy. 
But the key point is to treat homeless people just like everyone else, as individuals with the same rights, to see housing as a human right. But critics to this approach argue that complex issues such as addiction and mental health need to be addressed first before someone becomes eligible for long-term housing. But whichever view one adopts, let's remember that when we discuss homelessness, we raise the issue of human dignity, which is no small matter. It's interesting to note that how most individuals react with care and compassion to a small kitten which has been abandoned in a cardboard box. Yet when society views a homeless person, they are judged with contempt, revulsion and often indifference. And this is because the homeless person opens windows into men's souls. But can the same be said of the monolithic condominium, a stargazer devouring light through its looking glass of doom? And that's all we have time for in today's episode. Many thanks for listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. We really appreciated your company today. Just a quick mention that the show is syndicated to iTunes, Stitcher and Google Play. Simply go on, contact us on any of the issues that have come up in today's episode. Please send feedback by emailing us at info at gmc-radio.com or go online at gmc-radio.com. Please like, share and comment and connect to our social channels. And thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Good Morning Canada. Please join NAVC and NAVM for another great program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you soon.